Our scripture reading for today is found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you to the team and to our readers there. Thank you to everyone. Good morning, everyone. Well, if you will allow me to have a quick uh, distraction moment, just humor me for a brief, brief moment. As I look on stage, I am certain that there was obviously a music concert of some sort yesterday. Uh, maybe some of you at this section don't fully appreciate it, but you guys up there are wondering why on earth are there three pianos on the stage this morning. I tell you what, nobody ever thinks about the preacher. This takes me back to my childhood. My father is an accomplished musician. He can play the piano, the organ, and the accordion, uh, and plays them remarkably well. And so it was always his dream that one of his sons would be musical. I was the last hope, the youngest of three boys, and I went in elementary school to our music teacher to be assessed as to my musical ability. And the mus musical teacher said to my parents, don't waste your time. <laughs> so it's a little traumatizing for me to see three pianos up on stage with me. But I will try and ignore those and ignore what's going on behind me. I know it's raining outside, it's wet, it's miserable. Uh, I know some of you enjoy this weather. Uh, we will pray for you and love you anyway. Most people do not love this kind of weather. So I want you to, in your mind's eye, picture a far more scenic environment, a far more beautiful place to be. Imagine a young couple very much in love strolling along the beachfront, uh, the, the ocean just kind of lapping the shore, it's sunset, and there's this magnificent and glorious color within the sky, the, the hues. And I know that we can visualize that because we get some stunning sunsets uh, here. And so this young couple very much in love as they're walking along the beachfront, as they are just taking in this beauty, this view, this glory, for want of a better word. It's only natural that this couple will embrace from time to time. Well, they will stop and admire. They will hold hands, uh, perhaps even offer each other a kiss in that moment. This incredible environment. And I know that almost all of you right now are imagining yourself in that place. If you're married, I can only hope you're imagining it with your spouse. If not, we'll pray for you as well. But isn't there just something about our heart that resonates with a picture like that? Perhaps we don't experience that, and that's why we long for something like that. Perhaps we've experienced heartache and, and pain and trauma, and so we see it and we know that's what it should be like, and we yearn for it and we long for it. Maybe some of you are actually blessed where that is a reality for you. As I share that picture and that image with you, I want you to realize that's what God longs for 
with each one of us. God longs to walk with us, to embrace us. In our world that is completely oversexed, we, we sometimes kind of shy away from that idea of intimacy with God, but yet that's what God longs for with us. He longs for this relationship of love, this relationship where it is natural to be in each other's presence and to enjoy. This is what God created us for. This is what God invites us into. Of course, we know the rest of the story. You know, we know that humanity rebelled. The fall happened. Sin came in and a curse was brought upon us. I remember listening to a preacher a number of years ago when speaking about the fall. He, he kind of asked the question, is the tragedy the fact that the fall happened or that it still happens? You see, because even if we go, well, I wasn't there, I wasn't Adam or Eve, I, I'm not involved in that fall. The truth is we're still rebellious today. We still rebel against God right now in so many ways. And so the scripture says we are separated from God. We're lost without. But isn't this the good news of the gospel God was so committed to restoring relationship with us, to redeeming us, that Jesus came. God took on flesh and walked on this earth. In fact, when Jesus began his ministry, he begins by declaring, repent for the kingdom has come near. Some translations will say the kingdom is at hand. Now, this might be lost for many of us today. We might read through that verse. We might skip over that image. But you need to understand for the initial audience, for those first listeners who would hear that, it was a profound thing. The kingdom was the longed for. The kingdom was what they hoped for. The nation of Israel was hoping that a king, much like King David, would come again. And would reestablish their throne and would reestablish their rule. That the Romans would be overthrown, that enemies would be cast aside. And again, this would be a powerful nation. And so Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom is at hand. I know you're, you're starved for your Greek. And only because Ellis is here this morning, maybe I'll share some Greek. Ellis, it's so good to have you in church with us this morning. The word that Jesus used, the, the scriptures translate as basileia. And it's a word that, yes, speaks of a kingdom, but it's far more than just a literal and physical place that has a king. That word kingdom talks about dominion and rule, not simply a place that has a king. Instead, the place is subject to the authority and rule of someone over that. Because that someone who is over that is over all things. In the nation of Israel, the people of God understood that this kingdom was the rule and the reign of the Messiah. And so Jesus comes along and he says, repent for the kingdom has come. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. And of course, that piques the crowd's curiosity. And so we start to see this progression in the Gospels. We see this powerful teaching. We see Jesus providing. We see these incredible miracles. And if you've been reading through the book of Matthew, you get to Matthew chapter 13. And you know, if Matthew had a soundtrack in the background, this is where the record scratches or there's a screeching tire or the band stops playing. 
It's that moment of, wait, what? What are you going on about? This makes no sense. What's happening? If you're visiting with us today, last week we started a series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told. It's a series we're going to be running up until Christmas as we look into the parables of Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks in parables. And the reason I say there's this record scratch or this moment of kind of confusion is because if you follow the progression through the book of Matthew, it begins with the miraculous virgin birth. Not only this miraculous virgin birth, but there's these visiting magi that come from the east and they seem to know what's going on and they come and they worship. And and so there's this incredible element to the story. And then we read that as a child, Jesus escapes with his family. Joseph escapes and takes the family. But then they return and they restore. And and straight after that, we read of John the Baptist. John also comes along and says, repent. And he leads people in baptism. And so Jesus comes to John. And there's this incredible interaction as Jesus is baptized by John. And we see this picture of of God descending and the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove. And God the Father speaking over this moment. And then Jesus starts and says, repent again. For the kingdom has come. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. And so the crowds follow because they see miracles. They, They get food. You know. Nothing like feeding a crowd to make sure the crowd keeps coming back. And Jesus does this. They've never seen these miracles. They've certainly never seen the dead raised to life again. They've never seen the blind receive sight, the lame walk. They've never seen somebody so openly teach in a way with authority and power that even the Pharisees are shocked at. And so Jesus does this and the the crowds are swelling and the crowds are going. And it's almost like Jesus knows crowds are not disciples. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus sits down in a little boat and drifts a little bit off the shore. And the crowds are gathered around him on the shoreline and probably on the hills. And we look at that and we know that this is possible. If you've ever been at the water's edge at maybe a lake cabin or something like that and you've heard people just talking on a boat and it echoes across and so Jesus sits down and he begins to teach and he tells some really strange and interesting stories and so the disciples come up to him and in verse 10 the disciples come to him and ask why do you speak to the people in parables and Jesus replied the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them Those who have will be given more and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts. And in turn, I would heal them. The crowds are not disciples. Jesus wants to challenge them. Jesus says, I see you coming in. I see you swelling up. But hold on. Let me speak. 
Because as I speak in these parables, these stories that tell a deep truth and a significant truth, I'm going to speak in such a way that veils them a little bit. Because that becomes the test. Will you enter in to seek understanding? Will you come to me to ask? Or will you just go, huh, makes no sense, and walk off? And so Jesus starts, and we started last week with the parable of the sower. Has the sower sowed sowed seed into the soil? And we looked at the object, the four soils represents the human heart and the way the human heart responds to the word of God. And the closing question is really, how is the soil of your heart? Have you taken care of it? Have you nourished it? Have you done what needs to be done so that it would receive the word of God? So this morning, we jump ahead to Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. The two parables that we read. And they're interesting parables. There's a a worker out in a field, and as he's working in the field, and we we don't need to really read into it too much, but you could imagine the laborer out in the field. It's probably not very well paid for that kind of work. And while working, he stumbles across some treasure. Nothing strange about that. In that time, there, there weren't the same kind of banks and financial institutes that we have. And so some people, not trusting the authorities, would naturally have buried their treasure. You know, I discovered there's an interesting little law at that time is if you found treasure and it was not your land, if you lifted that treasure out into the air, it became the landowners, not yours. And so here this laborer finds the treasure and he goes, this is valuable. This is worth more than I'm ever going to earn digging and working this field. So he covers it up and he goes off and he sells everything so that he can buy that field And get the treasure. And then in a similar vein, there's this merchant who obviously trades in pearls. And as he's looking, he finds one pearl that is more valuable than anything else, any other pearl he's ever found. And in a really bad business practice, he goes and sells everything and invests in that one pearl. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. I believe as I read through those two, supported by the other parables of the kingdom around that, the parable of the mustard seed, you can go and read that, the parable of the net, the parable of the yeast. As Jesus speaks of the kingdom, I think there are two ways of looking at these parables. There are two ways of understanding what Jesus is getting at here. They both rely on how we view the object of the kingdom. And by that I mean, is the kingdom spoken of the literal reign and rule of God? Or is there more to it? Is it the people of God? Let me consider the first element or the first way of reading and interpreting this story. The rule and reign of God. You see, when we go into the Old Testament, we see the birth of God's people, God's nation. We see God coming and God initiating and God choosing this people. And God says, I will be your people and I will walk among you. I have chosen you, not because you're the greatest, the strongest or anything like that. In fact, you're you're the weakest. You're the smallest. But I'm going to choose you in order to do an incredible work and bless all the nations of the world. So God comes along and he chooses these people. And after he's chosen them, he gives them the commandments. 
It's fascinating that commandments always come after calling. Rules follow redemption. God says, I have chosen you and now because I have chosen you, show that you are mine by obeying my commandments. In fact, Jesus echoes that in John chapter 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If we're in relationship, if there is love, if there is intimacy, then as a sign and a symbol of that, you will obey. You will show this in the way you live. Not the other way around. You won't earn my love. You won't earn favor. You won't earn redemption. That's given because that's done already. You have been chosen. But now keep that. I believe in this parable, Jesus is teaching that this kingdom is worth more than any earthly kingdom. It is worth more than any other pursuit. There are other passages in the the New Testament that support this. Jesus speaks about this in Mark chapter 10 when he talks about the rich young ruler and the rich entering the kingdom of heaven. You know that story well. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, keep a couple of, and he lists the commandments. And this teacher goes, well, I've I've kept all of those since I was young. So Jesus responds and says, well, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the, the rich young ruler walks away despondent because he was rich. He was wealthy. His hope was in his possessions. He didn't want to give those away and therefore rely on God. This is what Jesus echoes also in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. Jesus is speaking about worry and how easily you and I worry about so many little things. We worry about our possessions. We worry about our sustenance. We worry about what we're kind of accumulating and and amassing. Jesus says there's only one necessary thing, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added onto you. And so here in this parable of the kingdoms, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would say, the kingdom, my rule, my reign is worth more than any other pursuit that you can imagine. Maybe I need to stop here and ask, what are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it comfort? Is it happiness? Now, don't get me wrong, none of those things in and of themselves are bad things. Just because you've amassed wealth and, and, and riches doesn't mean that those are bad things. There are many wealthy people who've understood their wealth is just a tool. And they still pursue the kingdom more than anything else. And so they use that wealth to bless and to develop the kingdom. And so Jesus says, what are you pursuing? Because if it is anything other than the kingdom, it will fade. It will not save you. It will not provide what you're looking for. Only I can do that. Let me pause. Let me ask you a personal question. This isn't just one of those ones that, okay, Brian's going to answer. I can't. Only you can answer. What are you thinking and feeling right now? What's going on in your head and in your heart as you engage with these parables and the value and the pursuit of the kingdom. Does the parable resonate or not? You see, I I firmly believe that for some of you, you've already made sense of this. 
You've already answered that question that, yes, I believe God's kingdom and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ is worth more than anything else. Yes, I might sometimes stumble and fall, but that's what I'm going after. That's what I'm pursuing. And I pray that you would continue that because that's part of what Jesus says. This is the litmus test. If you're leaning into it, it's a sign that you are my child. But what if as you hear those, you go, no, not really. I'm not really interested in that. I, I don't really believe that. I, I don't actually really want to know too much of the truth about it. It doesn't faze me. It doesn't bother me. I'm here for some other reason. If that's you, then maybe the second way of approaching this parable is more relevant for you. Maybe the second way of coming to an understanding of this kingdom is the way that you will finally have your eyes opened to this incredible truth and this incredible parable. You know, we all have done this at some point in our life. We've kind of veiled something or kept it hidden. Perhaps you've planned a surprise birthday party for a family member. And at some point, somebody has said to that family member, I know something you don't. And, and, and there's that I'm aware of the truth. And so we start to try and give little clues, hoping they will discover, but we're not going to tell them outright. That's what Jesus does with this parable. And it's incredibly beautiful. You see, I believe when I read scripture, God has a plan to save humanity. God understands what is needed. And so he did that in Jesus Christ. The second way of reading and viewing this story looks at the people and the parts of the story perhaps a little differently. What if the story really isn't about your sacrifice or what you do to go and receive the treasure? What if the story is really about Jesus Christ and you are the treasure or the church, the people of God, is the pearl? Look at that parable of the hidden treasure in the field. Jesus identifies those parts. We have hidden treasure. We have a man working in the field. We have this joyous discovery that what happens? It leads this man to go and sell and sacrifice everything to buy. And that's echoed in the parable of the pearl. As this merchant finds a pearl of great price and goes and sacrifices everything that he might have the pearl. What if? Just what if? What if the treasure or the pearl is you and I? And what if Jesus is the man or the merchant? I don't think this is way off in reading this parable. I don't think this is way off in interpreting it. And the only reason I say that is because I'm not the only commentator to believe that or to say that. I believe scripture helps support this possible view. And we know certain passages so well, like John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we quote that so often that I think sometimes we forget of the impact of that. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus laid down his life for you and for I. He gave everything in order that we might be saved. 
Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, where Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Jesus laid down his life. Jesus sacrificed everything in order to redeem you and I. In order to restore you and I to that intimate relationship that I spoke about at the beginning. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could enter into fellowship with our Heavenly Father and we could walk with him. As I close off this morning, let me close with another question. Does this parable or these parables of the kingdom resonate with you? Does it desire within you, sorry, does it stir within you a desire to know more, to want to go deeper, to want to understand the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom and what it means to pursue it with everything you've got? If it is, then I pray that Psalm 63 that we opened with this morning would become your prayer. Where the psalmist cries out, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That is my prayer for you. But if it doesn't, then I pray this morning for you that your eyes would be opened. And this morning you would see and realize and discover the great truth. That God did not spare his own son. That he might enter into a relationship with you. And redeem you and restore you to that loving fellowship. That place of intimacy. That our hearts yearn for and long for. And I pray that this morning your eyes would be opened to that. Let's pray. Father, as we read these two parables... And we engage with your kingdom. Lord, we are so aware that there is just so much more to that. And so much, there's so much richness and depth to the kingdom of God and to everything it entails. That our minds would struggle to hold it all. But Lord, I thank you that by your spirit, you lead us into truth. As we seek, as we ask you, as we dive into your scripture, as we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we memorize, as we take it in and pray it out in return. Father, I thank you that you take us deeper into an understanding. Lord, there might be many here this morning who, yes, acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, acknowledge that you are king and ruler and we pursue your kingdom. But even in the midst, sometimes we might get distracted by comfort, by happiness, by riches, by wealth, by fame, by fortune, by whatever else. Oh God, once again this morning, would you lead us into that place of seeking your kingdom ahead of everything else, knowing that when we do that, then we will find life and life abundantly. Knowing that when we do that, Lord, you will take care of the rest. You will provide for what we need. And then, Father, for those this morning who perhaps have never really accepted or understood or even wanted to go deeper, I pray that by your Spirit you would lead them into that place with you this morning. That, Lord, they would turn around and say, yes, Jesus, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, and we declare you to be Lord and Savior. 
For we ask that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you find yourself in that position this morning, and maybe you've never really come to that place of saying, yes, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe in that prayer, you prayed that. I would love to connect with you and chat with you after the service and maybe help you through that process. Won't you stand with us as we sing our closing hymn this morning?